0: We can turn our Bibles again to Luke chapter 1. And I'd like to direct your attention to verse 31. This is page 903 in your pew Bible. Luke 1, 31. And behold, this is... Gabriel speaking to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Congregation, no doubt you've heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And what that saying is attempting to communicate is that things we already know, things we're familiar with, often lead to disinterest on our part, or even worse than disinterest at times. And so uh, married couples, you can think about this in your own marriage maybe, where uh, if you think back to when you were newly married, the thought of not having to drop off your wife or your, your loved one at the end of the night uh, but now you get to spend the evening, the full evening together. You can wake up the next morning beside each other. That was an amazing thought when you were first married. But then as the years roll on, it kind of becomes ho hum, maybe, and you don't think anything of it. Familiarity breeds contempt. This is also true if you uh, live here in the Niagara region. Uh, we're all familiar with Niagara Falls, I imagine. And this is a spectacle, an amazing spectacle of the world, a a wonder of God's creation. And yet, you've probably seen it before. And so, when someone says, let's go to Niagara Falls, maybe there's hesitancy in your part. I've seen it before. And yet, when you go, and you see again the the glories of all of this water pouring over the rocks, doesn't it stir something in your heart? Wow! Wow! Look at the glory of God. Look at the amazing wonder that is so close to home. And that's my prayer then as we enter into this familiar Christmas story, that the same thing would happen for us. If you have come here thinking, here we go again. It's that time of year and it's Christmas and we know the story. What can excite us? My prayer is that we would come to this story like we might come to Niagara Falls and we might see fresh things, Glorious things that stir your heart again. That God might leave us spellbound and moved by the depths of his love and grace. That he would come as a baby and enter our sinful, fallen world. Well, as I I said before, we're looking at this sermon series uh, from Mary's perspective. Uh, It's titled Mary's Christmas. And the first sermon's title is The Birth Announcement. The birth announcement. And we have four thoughts here. First, the greeting. Second, the message. Third, the explanation. And fourth, the response. So the birth announcement. And first of all, the greeting. Notice our story begins in the sixth month. And of course, this is referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, As we read earlier this, this morning, God has sent his angel Gabriel on a mission and he has sent him to to visit Elizabeth and Zacharias and there we read how how the Lord uh, through his angel visited Zacharias in the temple but now here in our text we're finding the Lord sending his angel on an even more special and more surprising mission Uh, the first time he visited old Zacharias Now, Zacharias was a prominent man. He was a priest. He was a prominent man who was serving the Lord. Uh, He had this this position of of prominence, serving the Lord in his temple. And he lived in a prominent place. Uh, He lived in Jerusalem. And he served the Lord in Jerusalem. And so, in some ways, if we were expecting to find an angel anywhere, that's exactly where we'd expect to find the angel in the temple in the Lord's temple, in Jerusalem. And yet our story then is one of a surprising contrast because here we find God sending his angel not to the city of Jerusalem, not to the temple, not to a prominent priest, but he sends Gabriel to the city of Nazareth. And as you know, Nazareth is something of a nothing town. Uh, as you read through the Gospel of John, for example, you find Nathanael saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth is this, this backwater place that you wouldn't want to visit. Uh, if you were going anywhere at this time in Israel, you wouldn't go to Nazareth. And yet that's exactly where God sends Gabriel. He sends his angel not to an old respected priest, but to a young virgin girl that no one has heard of. And we meet her in verse 27. Her name is Mary. And we read that she's betrothed to Joseph, who was a distant grandson of King David. And this word betrothed, it means that they were uh, legally uh, engaged, they were legally, had a legally binding engagement, so in some ways it's like our engagement, but much Uh, more firm, much more stable. It's it's kind of between engagement and marriage. Uh, There already is a legal contract in place. If they were to break up this betrothal, you would need to get a divorce. And so it's a much more binding even than our engagements today. But that's who Mary is. She's an ordinary young lady, probably between the age of 12 and 16. And she is... Uh, someone who's excited for her upcoming wedding. Just like any other young lady who's engaged, she's in love with her fiancé, Joseph. And at this time in her life, she's trying to scrap together, scrape together enough money in order to pay for their upcoming wedding. And that has been tough to do because her fiancé is a carpenter. He is a poor man who has a, a trade that doesn't make a lot of money. And yet, being the godly woman that she is, she's excited for her big day. And so here we find her in our text, and she's going about her ordinary business, her daily task, she's completing her to-do list, when suddenly, an angel, Gabriel, meets her in verse 28. And he says, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And so what we're hearing here is a gracious greeting. This is a gracious greeting. These, the words that are being spoken to her are dripping with grace. Now, the angel says rejoice. That's a typical greeting for these days. Uh, it's another way of, of saying hello, rejoice, uh, peace, shalom, that type of thing. But the next words are the gracious words. Rejoice, highly favored one. Highly favored one. You who have been favored with grace. You who have been given much grace. And so Mary, as we're meeting her, as we're encountering her, encountering her we're, we're seeing that she is a sinner like you and I. And yet she's a sinner who has been forgiven, one who has, who has the grace of God resting upon her. And so the angel comes to her and says, you are richly favored. And so unlike the Roman, how the Roman Catholic Church teaches about Mary, Mary is not a dispenser of, of grace but she is a recipient of unexpected and undeserved grace you have been favored with grace and the angel goes on and he says the lord is with you the lord is with you that's startling Here's Mary, young Mary. She's going about her daily business, maybe cleaning her house or or going to the market or going to the well. She's going about her ordinary duties and she hears this word from heaven, the Lord is with you. The Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, he is with you right now. This isn't a wish or a desire, but this is a declaration. The Lord is with you right now, Mary. You are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. In congregation, this is true of every child of God. Every child of God could hear these words. If an angel were to meet you and to say these words, the angel would not be lying. He would be speaking the exact truth. You are highly favored in heaven's sight, in the Lord. He is with you wherever you go, and at every moment of your life. And we don't need an angel to tell us that because God's word tells us that already. Highly favored one. Maybe that's the message you need to hear this morning. Child of God, you are highly favored. And the Lord is with you. Well, the angel goes on and adds these final words, blessed are you among women. And here it seems that he's hinting at God's unique role for Mary as, as the mother of Jesus. You are blessed among women. Well, Mary is taken back by this greeting in verse 29 and, and we read there, she was troubled, at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And, and notice that. These words are surprising. Maybe we've never uh, realized that before, but Mary's concern doesn't come from the fact that an angel is staring her face to face and speaking with her. Now that is reason for for concern, reason to tremble, but that's not what our text is focusing on. It's not what she saw that troubled her, but it's what she heard that troubles her. It's his gracious greeting that causes her confusion. She was troubled at his saying considering what manner of greeting this was and there's an important spiritual principle embedded here then and it's this that God's children are often surprised that they are recipients of God's lavish grace God's children are often surprised that they that they themselves would be the recipients of God's lavish grace that's Mary here she's taken back Why on earth would the God of heaven highly favor me? Why why would he love me? That's, That's the expression of the child of God as well. In fact, if you are here and you can find reasons in yourself why God should love you and God should set his grace upon you, then I'm afraid you don't know his grace at all. Because a child of God is one who recognizes that his grace is unmerited. It's undeserved. It's, un, it's unearned. And so like Mary, there's, there's this, this shock, this surprise that I would be such a recipient of lavish, free, and undeserved grace. Well, this is the gracious greeting. But secondly, the message. You find that in verse 30. The angel responds to Mary And says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so here, Gabriel is is giving this reassurance. Mary, do not fear. He sees that she's she's concerned, that she's wondering, questioning, how can these words be true about me? And, And he says, do not fear, for you have found favor. And again, the word for favor is grace. You have found grace. And so Mary, you wonder how it can be true. You wonder how it's true that God highly favors you. But I'm here to tell you again, to repeat that statement again. It is true. You have found grace in God's eyes. God has set his grace upon you, so don't fear. And following this reassurance, Gabriel then delivers his message. And it's a gospel message. It's it's a message of glad tidings, a message of hope. And this message is really a birth announcement. Now, children, it's not your typical birth announcement. Uh, normally, a birth announcement is when parents have had a child and and they're celebrating the fact that the Lord has blessed them with the baby, so maybe they make a nice card and they send the card to family and friends and on it, it gives the details of, of the new baby, their height, their weight, the birth, and they're praising the Lord and calling others To praise the Lord with them. That's a typical birth announcement. It happens after the fact. And the parents are the ones sending the message. But notice how different it is here. In this case, Mary the mother is the one receiving the announcement. And she's receiving it months in advance. Even even in advance of her pregnancy. And the angel is giving this announcement and says, Behold, You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And so this is a gospel message. This is God through Gabriel telling Mary that the long-awaited seed, the seed of, of Eve, the seed of the woman that will come and crush the serpent's head is at last coming. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. So notice that God is naming this son. God is telling Mary what you will call this son. You must call his name Jesus. This is a gospel message. This son is a savior. That's what Jesus means. The Lord saves. And so the father has chosen this name for him. Call his name Jesus. Because this name expresses his purpose for coming. He is coming to save his people from their sins. While following this amazing declaration, Gabriel adds a number of statements about Jesus that describe this Savior. And we can lump them together into two main statements. First, they describe who he is. Who he is, Gabriel says, he'll be great. And this language is often attributed to God. Psalm 135, verse 5, the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. But Mary, your son, he will be great. He will be called great. Not just that you as a mother will will look at your precious child and, and have this bias thinking, yes, this is a great baby. But no, in truth, in reality, your son will be great. In an absolute, in unqualified terms, he is great. And he'll be called the son of the highest. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Mary, your son, your child, the baby that you will bring into this world, the baby that will, will grow in your womb for nine months and that you will go into labor to deliver into this world. Your baby, your son, is the Son of God. He's the Son of the Most High. And so this is no ordinary child. This is who he is. He is the son of God. He's the savior. And second, Gabriel tells what he will do. He says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so, yes, Mary, your son will be the son of God, but he also will be the promised son of David. And this here, these words and this, this language of speaking about, the, about David and the throne, that's taking us back then to the promises of the Old Testament. And in particular, the promise of 2 Samuel 7. There in 2 Samuel 7, you remember how David, uh, David in the good desire of his heart, he wanted to build the Lord a house. He wanted to build God a temple. And so he set about to do it. He got permission from Nathan the prophet. He set his heart to do it. But then Nathan comes back to him in 2 Samuel 7 and says, Hold on, David. This isn't a privilege that God has given to you. But the Lord is giving you something better. You want to build God a house, but God will build you a house. He will build you a dynasty, a a lasting family tree. And at the center of that dynasty will be a king your son, who will rule forever. So Second Samuel 7, verse 12, we read, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, that promise was made 1,000 years before Mary meets Gabriel. 1,000 years before, God had spoken that to David. And for 400 years, there was a king on the throne, and often they weren't godly kings, and they most certainly didn't have an eternal throne. But then for the last 600 years, since the exile, there has been no Davidic king on the throne. This promise, it it, it seems like like it's been forgotten. The Lord has forgotten what he said a thousand years ago, and yet here, now suddenly at this moment, this angel appears to Mary, and in an instant reconfirms that that promise will be fulfilled. Mary, you will give birth to the son of David, and he is the one. He is the one who will have God's eternal throne. He shall reign forever and ever for all eternity. And so here we see that this is a gospel message that the angel is bringing. It's a message about Jesus Christ. It's a message of hope. It's a message about the promises of God being fulfilled. And in this message, we also, we see a second spiritual principle. And it's this, that God is always faithful to his promises. God is always faithful to his promises, no matter how delayed they are, and now and no matter how impossible they seem God is always faithful to his promises And so what promises have you stopped believing that the Lord has given you What promises have you given up hope on What promises seem too forgotten and too delayed that you have that you no longer dare to rest your hope upon God is always 100% faithful to his promises, and that's what we're seeing here as well. Well, first, the greeting. Second, the message. Third, the explanation. And it's under this point, the first thing that we hear is Mary's question. Verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Now, this is a significant question. And it's important to notice that Mary is not questioning the gospel message that she has just heard. She's not questioning God's faithfulness to his old promises. She's not asking, Lord, what are you talking about, this, this son of David coming who will have an eternal throne? No, she's, she's remembering those promises and believing that they will come true. So she's not questioning the fact that God will send a son. This has been her hope all along. She read her Old Testament. She was one of the few, one of the few faithful ones who were looking for the fulfillment of God's promises. Just like old Anna and Simeon in the temple, Mary was one who loved the Lord and was looking for the Lord's salvation. So she's not here questioning the gospel or confused about the gospel and the hope of the gospel. But what, she, what she's questioning is her role in all of this. Notice what she says. How can this be since I do not know a man? Do you hear that? Gabriel, what you're saying about God is all true, but how can this be true about me? I, I don't know a man. And so it's as if Mary is saying, Gabriel, I I think what you're saying is is right and true, but but you have the wrong address. How, How can this be true of me? You found the wrong woman. I'm not capable of this. I'm a virgin. I'm disqualified, as it were. I have limitations. And so here is Mary. She's looking at herself. And and all she sees are her disqualifications and her limitations. And there again, we find another spiritual principle, and that is this, that God's people often see what disqualifies them for service. That's what God's people are often caught up in, what disqualifies them for service. But God purposely chooses the weak. God's people often sees what disqualifies them for service. God calls us to something, and His people respond with, "But Lord, I can't. Lord, look at me. I don't fit the bill. I, I, I'm too weak. I don't. I don't have the giftings. Lord, I don't have it within me. I, I see limitations in me. God calls us to." to share the gospel with someone, or to encourage a widow who's in need of encouragement. And, and we look at ourselves and we say, that's, that's not me, that's not what I'm comfortable doing. And so, Lord, send someone else. God's people often see their limitations. And yet here's the point, God purposely uses those with limitations. God calls the weak to fulfill his purposes And so that's what he's doing here with Mary. Mary, yes, on your side, it looks like limitations. It looks like you are the wrong address. It looks like you're the wrong person. But God has chosen you, you weak one, to accomplish and fulfill this role. Well, Mary's question is followed by Gabriel's explanation. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so notice where, where, where the angel directs the attention away from Mary, away from her limitations, away from her questions, and to, to God himself. God is the answer. The Holy Spirit is the answer. Mary, you don't need a man because the third person of the Blessed and Holy Trinity will conceive this Son in you. This will be a supernatural birth. This will be a miraculous birth. The Holy Spirit will come suddenly upon you. This word, it has an idea of suddenness. Uh, Luke, the gospel writer, he also writes Acts, and he uses the same word in Acts one, verse eight, speaking about the spirit coming in Pentecost, this, this suddenness and, and how, the, how the spirit will, will come in, in his fullness. He will come completely and suddenly. He will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. And this language here that Luke uses, this this overshadowing, it's it's reminding us of the creation account. Back there in Genesis 1 verse 2, we read, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was, was hovering overshadowing over the face of the waters, like, like a tender eagle brooding over her chicks. The Spirit of God was, was brooding over God's creation. As, as God's words spoke, the Spirit also was active, making beauty out of the, the emptiness. And so here, Luke says, this is the answer to your conundrum, Mary. Yes, yes look at yourself and you see that you are a sinner and yet a holy child must come out of you but the answer doesn't lie in you Mary but the answer lies in the Holy Spirit he is the reason that Jesus will be holy so notice how how Gabriel words our text he says and the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore therefore that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God so it's It's the Spirit who is the answer. The Spirit of holiness is the one who guarantees that this child will be a holy one, that he will be a holy child, impeccably perfect and holy. Well, this is, of course, amazing and utterly unique. Never in the history of the world has there been a virgin birth like this. And and so to help Mary... Gabriel gives a sign, a sign in verse 36. He says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And so just notice the fact that that Gabriel gives Mary a sign. Uh, Young people, if you are at college or studying online these days, and maybe you have a professor who's an atheist, and, and maybe he's said something along the lines of, "Well, you know, the ancient world could, could believe in a virgin birth. they believed in myths all the time, and, and they could believe these things, but now that science has come, we, we don't believe the virgin birth anymore. Uh, science has disproved. Science shows us that the virgin birth is impossible. So, so we can't believe these myths anymore. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone like that. But notice, notice the, the ignorance that someone shows when it comes to Scripture. Because Scripture doesn't present the virgin birth as if this is ordinary. Scripture doesn't present the virgin birth as if this is just natural. No, it presents this as a miracle, as supernatural. Mary has questions. Even Mary from back from the backwoods of Nazareth, this young girl, she knows that a virgin birth is a miracle. This is out of the ordinary. And so she's asking questions. How can this be so? I don't know a man. She, even she knows. Before science, even Mary knows how children are conceived. And so it's obvious that Scripture is holding this out as a miracle that must be believed. And the miracle only makes sense of the God behind the miracle. God is the God of the impossible with whom nothing is impossible. That's, that's what he says, uh, Gabriel says to Mary. First, he gives her the sign, Mary, your old cousin who's been barren your whole life, she's six months pregnant. There's a sign to help Mary believe. But then he grounds this sign in God himself. He says it's not possible with Elizabeth, it's not possible with you, Mary, but it's possible with God. With God, there is nothing that will be impossible. And so that takes us to the fourth principle then. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. We need to factor God into the equation of our lives. Nothing is impossible with God. What is your view of God this morning? As you have gathered into his house, we've gathered into the house of the one with whom nothing is impossible. What is your view of him this morning? As you look at your circumstances, as you look at the fears that live in your heart, as you look at the questions, as you look at, at all of the difficulties of life, Does this match, does your view of God match what what Gabriel is telling Mary and telling us this morning? That he is the God with whom nothing is impossible. Maybe maybe you've succumbed to your own doubts or Satan's lies. Maybe you've given up hoping in in this God. Maybe for your own soul. Maybe you know you're dead and lost. And maybe you're content to just Stay there. You've given up to fatalism. There's no hope. I'm dead. I'm lost. Salvation is impossible. Well, of course it is for you. That's what scripture would say. Of course salvation is impossible for you. But you need to factor God into the equation of your thinking. The God with whom nothing is impossible. The gospel is about this type of God. This is the biblical God. This is the God of scripture. The God of all possibilities. And so, he is the one who can solve our conundrums and our questions. Is this your God? He is the God of scripture. Well, what does it look like if we live like these things are true? That takes us to our fourth and final point, the response. The humble response of submission. Notice verse 38. Mary says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Now Mary is recognizing herself. She recognizes her position. On the one hand, she's humbled. She doesn't have great thoughts of herself. Behold your servant, your maidservant. She she's not the Lord of her life. She's the servant, and she's humbled. This is a lowly position that she's taken. She's recognizing her place. She's humbled. And yet on the other hand, she's exalted. Notice she says, she's a servant, yes, but a servant of the Lord. She's a servant. She's his servant. And so she's exalted. At the beginning, this this thought was too high for her. Lord, yes, I believe your plans will happen, your redemption will happen, but how do I factor into that? How can I factor into that? But now here, through God's grace, she's grasping the truth of God's grace, that he has welcomed her into his plan. And so, yes, she's a servant, but she is his servant. She belongs to him. She belongs to this God. And so she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. And it's when she recognizes who she is as a humble servant, but also as an exalted servant of the Lord, that she is able to respond appropriately. And so she says, let it be to me according to your word. Do you hear that? Mary is not objecting to God's plans for her life. She's not asserting her own ideas or her own dreams. Just think about that. Think about her situation. If if you're a young person, if you're between the ages of 12 or 16, or if you're engaged, or if you're planning a wedding, just think about what Mary says Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She doesn't say, Lord, I'm planning my wedding. Lord, I don't want the shame and stigma of being an unmarried, pregnant teen. Lord, can't there be another way? Lord, I'll, I'll take the salvation that you're offering through Jesus, but can't you find someone else? Can't you disrupt someone else's life? Lord, how will I explain this to Joseph, my parents, my friends? Can't you disturb someone else's dreams? That's not the response that Mary gives. She says, Let it be to me according to your word. Lord, your will be done. Lord, have your own way. Do what you want with me. And so then this is our final spiritual principle. Humble submission and obedience is always the right response to God. Humble submission and obedience is always the right response to God. No matter our circumstances, Submission and obedience to God is always right. Now, it's not always easy to understand and to know what obedience looks like. We've been wrestling through that this year. What does does obedience to God look like? And yet the question is this. The question is, what is the posture of my heart? What is the posture of my heart? Is it yielded to the Lord? Am I ready to follow the Lord wherever he calls me and however it disrupts and disturbs my own dreams for my life? Yes, God is the God of the impossible and if we have this God as our God, that means he will accomplish his will in us, but that doesn't mean an easy life, but it means the best life, his will, his way, his plans, his unfolding for our lives. And so is that how how we are this morning? Are we yielded? to this God? Are we ready to follow him wherever he calls? Are, are we able to make decisions day by day, saying to the Lord, behold the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Well, congregation, in ourselves, we cannot do this, of course. We know our hearts. But the Spirit, the Spirit who made Mary willing is the same Spirit who is alive and well today, making his people willing to respond in this way. And so may he give us the grace and may we take our stubborn hearts to him that we might say, behold, the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Amen.